0: friends this is episode 55 of the Bible Lab podcast
1: you are listening to the Bible Lab podcast recorded before a very lively audience on the campus of Loma Linda University here's your host Roy Ice
0: Hey everybody, thanks so much for joining us again. I'm just having so much fun going through this journey with you, and I can't wait for you to hear what our community came up with as we take a look at another kingdom tale today. But before we go too far, I just want to make sure you know you can follow along the exact same study guide that we use by going to our website, thebiblelab.com, and going to the episodes page, and on that page right next to the audio that you're listening to right now, you'll see that you can click on a PDF Document. It'll open up for you, and you can see exactly what we're looking at and what we're going through as we go through this conversation. Also, just want to let you know, if you are planning on coming to a live taping, we want to make sure that you reserve your seats. You will not get a seat if you don't make reservations. So please go to our website, and on the contact page, make sure you let us know when you will be here, the names of people that will be in your party, and we will roll out the red carpet for you. We can't wait to meet you face to face. Now, today we have an incredible kingdom tale. When Christ talks about new patches on old garments and new wine in old wineskins. Can't wait for you to see how this shows how incredibly loving your God is to you and what he really wants us to do today. Welcome to the Bible Lab. All right, you guys ready? Here we go. Number one. My vacations have typically been to the same traditional place year after year. Ah, Okay, so I'm seeing, <laughs> I'm seeing almost an even split. It looks like 55% no, 45% yes, and I see a couple of maybes because you're like, what's vacation? I'm still, <laughs> still trying to get vacation. They don't give me enough time to have vacation. So. Okay, so 55% of you say that the other 45% are boring people going to the same place year after you find a new spot. The 45% of you are saying, you don't know my spot. And I'm not telling. Number two, I don't like it when they change up the order of the worship service in the bulletin. (laughs) all right it's a double negative I hear you Carolyn so most of you are okay with it it's because you're bible lab people you're innovative by nature that's right but I did see a minority look like about 12% of you said yes it does bother you and some of you said maybe just because you didn't want to be negative or you didn't understand the double negative as Carolyn pointed out today um but many of you are open to change you're okay I always joke about it because uh as a university chaplain for six years, every year, the student vice president for the student association, their, uh, part of their main running uh, speech was, we're going to change up things. This is going to be creative and change, change, change. And we come together and the change was, well, why don't we do praise time after the message? I'm like, <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Just, yeah, moving this to there. That's amazing. We're changing the world. But you'd be surprised how many people complain. Number three, if I went on a fast, I would prefer to abstain from something other than food. <laughs> this, is, this is my community, yes. Um, 90, 90% of you said yes. Looks like about 8% of you said no, and Two percent said maybe, and the maybe might be because you're like, do I get to choose or you get to choose what I abstain from? Because if it's my iPhone, I'm sorry. I'll drive home for that. Many of you, uh, if you left your Bibles at, at home this morning, you'd be okay. Well, it's okay. They, well, we'll, we'll be okay. You leave your phone, um, you're late to the Bible lab. Yes, you're going back for it. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about fasting today. Um, and uh, some of you done it, some of you haven't. Uh, the statistics, say, within Christianity, I don't have the statistics for uh, our denomination, but for Christianity, the majority of the people have never, have never done it. Okay. Um, and so it's kind of mysterious or um, non-experiential for a lot of people. But we're going to talk about it, and, uh, and we're going to hear from some people who have done it today and what that experience was like. So be ready to take notes. Number four. Most churches are irrelevant to Jesus. Most churches are irrelevant to Jesus. Okay, so I'm seeing a majority of no. I'm seeing it looks like about 95% no, 3% yes, and 2% maybe. Okay, so I'm not going to tell you that you answered wrong. I'm just saying you might not have answered correctly. Um, It's no problem. It's no problem. What Jesus talks about today is the relevancy of the church. When we look at this kingdom tale about new cloth on an old garment and new wine in an old wineskin. It has everything to do with relevance of the church. And you're going to see why in a minute. Number five, last one. Jesus' teachings were absolutely incompatible with the Jewish religion of his time. I hear groaning and grumbling. That means I did a good one. Awesome. Okay, so I'm seeing about 60% yes, about 35% no, and 5% maybe. Okay. Those of you who answered yes, it might have been difficult to answer yes, but we're going to talk in detail about that today. Because what Jesus shares in the parable about new cloth and old wineskins and all that. Um, It all has to do with compatibility of Jesus' teaching with the church of Jesus' day. And so I can't wait to dig into it. There's going to be some surprises here. There's always surprises, right? When we open up Scripture and just see what's it saying in context, using the language, using the the culture, what have we missed? What have we misinterpreted over the years because we we didn't catch something. Something was lost in translation. And so today I can't wait for us to get there. And so, to start out, to get us in the mood, to get us in the the right mindset, I want you to answer a question for me. What challenges does the church face as it tries to make Jesus more relevant to the world? What challenges does the church face as it tries to make Jesus more relevant to the world? Who would like to start us out with a comment or a question? The culture. What do you mean by that?
1: Uh, Because I know from where I come, Egypt, uh, the most religion is uh, Muslim. Yeah. So you have to be very wise how you wanna share Jesus mm-hmm. with other people. Yeah. Um, you know, you have to be friends with them first, you have mm-hmm. to be private if you wanna uh, share something with Muslims because it's their lives are in stake. Yeah. Because if they change this to Christianity, mm-hmm. uh, the government, the their families will actually kill them. Yeah. So you have to be very careful. It's It's not here like you can talk about Jesus whenever you want.
0: (laughs) And people are like, okay, great.
1: Great for you. Yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Back
2: here. I say letting go of man made traditions.
0: Okay. That's one of the challenges letting go of man made traditions. I like that.
1: Perfect. The church wants to hold on, the world is not there. And to make a transition from where the church is holding on, to where the world, and the youth of the church are, essentially requires cracking the church. Hmm.
0: It's interesting. You know, uh, you, you use this term "holding on" and "cracking" stuff like that. If you ever want to completely mess up what you've been taught growing up, look at Hebrews 11 when it talks about the shaking. The shaking was presented to you as it's a time when you've got to hold on to what you've been taught because it's a time of shaking, and there's only some of us who will be able to hang on. When in Hebrews, if you actually read it in its entirety, you see that the shaking is a time for you to let go and to reach for something new. That's the shaking. But we've twisted that because it works a lot better uh, to control people if we tell them it's to hang on to what I taught you. Don't let go, right? Exactly.
1: Over here,
2: Sharon. I think we should just listen to Jesus' words. He said, You'll, they'll know you're Christians by the love you have for each other. Mm-hmm. We live in a very hurting world. No matter what we see, it's hurting. There's a lot of preaching about Jesus that's absolutely inimical to what he really wanted us to be and to do. So we need to put things into visible form.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, Faith without works is dead. Good deeds feed the hungry. As you said, not just I'm gonna pray for you, but some other more aggressive, more assertive action to share love with people. Um, Mm -hmm. The world needs that and it will uh, uh, accept it.
0: I love that. Thank you, Sharon. Back here.
1: We're so busy trying to live the Christian life as we should be. in our own experience, in our own lives, that we don't know how to get our hands dirty and really know people in the world.
0: I agree, Nancy. You know, I I shared with uh, uh, meetings of the North America Division um, presidents, vice presidents, ministerial directors, uh, a couple months ago, uh, we were talking about um, ministry as mingling. And the statement I made is, uh, you can't say that you've mingled with men and not smell like those same men. But we're afraid to smell like the people we're called to mingle with. And so we always do it at an arm's distance because I might smell like cigarette smoke and someone will think I'm struggling with cigarettes and not automatically assume you're hanging out with people who are smoking, trying to help them see the character of God, exactly.
1: Carolyn? I think the busyness, too. I think that unless we do something other than a three-hour church service, which people are gonna say a new person is not gonna be able to have the um, Attention span to be able to deal with that. Mm-hmm. The podcasts that I listened to last night from you for the Wednesday morning things and things were very meaningful. And I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that that will trigger and yeah. more interest in them rather than saying, oh, come and sit with me for three hours in church. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because the busyness of our lives is very, very entangling.
0: Yeah, a- absolutely. You know, it's, uh, I've, I've been having a conversation with several people. I need to write this write this down because I'm tired of saying it. Um, (laughs) Here, read this. Um, We treat church as just one program, and and if someone's going to skip something, typically, of course, those that have never experienced the Bible lab, but um, they typically say, I'll just go to worship service, and I'm okay. I've done everything. Um, My theory is this. Why is the stereotypical perfect date dinner and a movie and not just the movie? And my theory is because, well, in a movie, you're called to sit down be respectful, be quiet, silence your phone. There's something happening in the front that hopefully is relevant and that you enjoy and that you'll take with you. But it is not a time to interact with the person next to you. That would be considered rude. And you get up at the end of the movie and you leave. Um, and if that was all your date, how much have you created community or growth or gotten to know the person? You have to have dinner. This Bible study is dinner. Dinner. We have to have worship because we need to bring a sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. It's, it's what we do in expression of our thankfulness that we have a God who is to be worshiped and, and to be praised. But if all we're called to do is sit down and be quiet, there's a very real reason why young people say church isn't meeting my needs. It's because if you come and sit down for just that worship hour, it's not meant to be a date with God. To have a date with God, you have to have dinner and a movie. And this is dinner. And so having that full expression, I think, allows to have relational growth. Now I think the next one right here. Right here.
2: I I think oftentimes we want to bring the the church has people that want to bring Jesus to the world, but they don't want to bring of the they don't want to share themselves with those people.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. I I love that. I love that. Another thing that we need to touch on as well. uh, This really is a a trick question. Because when you stop and you ask the question, how do you make Jesus more relevant to the world? Is that what he ever called us to do? He's never asked us to make our church more relevant to the world. Ever. Because that's not what we're called to do. We're not called as a people to go out to other people and make Jesus relevant. Jesus is relevant. It's our calling to get the church out of the way and introduce people to Jesus. Instead of saying, come to my church where you meet Jesus, our calling is to say, I know Jesus, would you like to meet him? Jesus makes the church relevant. The church is not called to make Jesus relevant because the more the church tries to make Jesus relevant, you're going to see today, the church makes itself irrelevant because the only relevant thing is Jesus. And so the moment you take your eyes off Jesus, you build something else. Remember the story of of the... uh, Transfiguration, uh, Peter, James, and John are up at the top of the mountain with Jesus and they see Jesus transform in, into uh, his true form, his spiritual form, and they, and they see Moses, Elijah there. What's Peter's very first suggestion? Let's build a church. It's human nature. It's human nature in the presence of God to build a church. What was Jesus' response? No, please. It's irrelevant. And the reality is, many of you answered a a different way, but I, I have to tell you today, to Jesus, the church is irrelevant. Because quite frankly, to most churches, they've made Jesus irrelevant. Because Jesus is not the center. Jesus is a reason, but he's he is not all and everything within the church. So we're going to see today, as Jesus shares this concept with the church of his day, he tries to help them understand, where does Jesus fit with the church? And the answer is not only shocking, it's, it's absolutely revolutionary in what we're going to do from today on. Because we can't keep doing church the way it's been done in the past without being in the danger of repeating the mistakes that the church has made in the past. If we do what they did, we'll get what they got. And Jesus is saying, that's not what I want. I want something different. And so let's step into scripture. Let's step into a little bit of context before Jesus tells the parable. There's a lot more context before and after. We're going to talk about that as we go along. But for our reading this morning, I want us to start in Mark chapter 2. Verse 18, now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day They will fast. Verse 21. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new welches into old welches skins. (laughs) Sorry, I'm trying to not be offensive. Otherwise... The Welches will burst the skins, and both the Welches and the Welches' skins will be ruined. No, they will pour new Welches into new Welches' skins. <laughs> I say that for my teetotaler friends, yes, which I am a part of. So, what in the world is Jesus talking about? A lot of times we've heard this parable about new cloth on, uh, yeah, as a patch, it's just not going to work, and the new wine and the, and the old wineskins. But it all centers around a question. Jesus tells this parable in answer to a question. And that question is, why don't you and your disciples fast? All of us are fasting. You guys are not taking this seriously. How come you guys aren't doing what we're doing? We're going to talk about why they asked that question in a moment. But I want you to share with us. What has your experience been? If you've tried fasting before, I want to hear from you. What has your experience been as you have tried fasting? Let's start back over here. Purple mic.
1: I want to share uh, John 6, 28 and 29. Awesome. When Jesus was asked by the disciples, what must we do to do the works that God requires? Yep. Okay. Many times we ask that question. Yes. But Jesus said, and it's in red letters here, Uh the work of God is this, to believe Hmm. in the one he has sent. Hmm. That's the work that Christ wants us to do, to believe. Yes,
0: yes. I love that. And we're going to get to that because when you look at both, I I, I mean all three, Matthew, (coughs) Mark, and Luke's version of this story, All three of the synoptic gospels, which means they they harmonize together, all three of them have the exact same stories before the parable and story after this parable. They're all exactly the same. This parable is nestled between these stories for a reason, and it cannot be separated from these three stories for a very intentional reason, and it all comes down to what you shared in John chapter 6. What are we called to do? what does God want us to do? And we try to manipulate God. There's no kinder word to say, but we try to manipulate God, especially at very drastic times in our lives. Family members are dealing with cancer. Uh, Kid was in a car accident. It's going to die. Our marriage is in shambles. Our finances are in shambles. We begin our manipulative prayer. And we begin to question, am I doing it right? Because isn't there an ABC and a 1, 2, 3? And if I I miss one of these steps, if I'm not fasting or if I'm not, you know, praying just in the right way, if I'm not, you know, living my life just perfectly, free from sin, then God's not going to answer my prayer. I have to manipulate him by doing the behaviors that he wants in order for him to do the behavior I want. That's how mankind approaches God. Whereas last week, we looked, and God says, no, that's, that's not how it is. If you as human parents know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more does your heavenly Father know? And so, as we look at this, some people will approach fasting and say, I'm doing it to get something. I want to hear from some more people. What has your experience been in fasting? So I've got one here, and i got one there, and i got one we ever here. Do you have a microphone, Brian? No, no not yet. Oh, okay, so and I need a microphone back there. So we're going to start right here. Blue mic. Um,
1: I was a newborn Christian, and God directed a fast for me. Mm-hmm. It was a fast of eating, not abstaining. Hmm. He said, Marilyn, get up and go in the kitchen. It was the middle of the night and I want you to have a glass of milk. Well, I was living with a single mom at the time, and so there was milk in the house.
3: So I went and got a little drink of milk. And he said, now I want you to have a spoonful of honey, <laughs> so you know where this is going.
0: The promised land.
1: Um, yeah. <laughs> that's right. He, he said, I'm going to take you to the promised land. Mm. And um, you know, I will never forget that conversation.
0: <laughs> what, a, what a great experience. Awesome. Over here, Sharon.
3: Well, my experience is a little different. I happen to be hypoglycemic, which is the opposite of diabetes. Mm-hmm. So going to fasting, I, after a while, got a headache. Mm-hmm. And then my mind was not clear, and I was very fuzzy and felt like fainting. Mm. And I had to have something
1: to eat.
0: Yeah, so it, it was uh, you. You felt it f- very quickly, physically affect you. Over here, Brian. Does he have a mic? No, we'll back here. We'll do the red mic back here.
1: Okay. I, my experience with uh, fasting is that uh, um, instead of being feeling more like uh, spiritual uh, stronger, I after I've been fasting, I feel spiritually weak mm-hmm. I feel more prone to the flesh mm. so to me is like when Jesus says or the Bible says in regards to fasting is uh, that the Lord even we can do that uh, he likes better to for us to be merciful to others mm. and to do the things that we want them to do to us mm. to do with them so Hmm. I have a controversy right there.
0: Yeah, yeah, and a lot of people do. Thank, thank you so much for sharing
2: that. All right, Brian. For me, I don't know if you... Okay, uh, yeah, we'll go here, sorry. Okay, thank you.
0: Go ahead.
1: Thank you. What makes the church relevant? Uh, following and studying uh, the commandments of Almighty God through obedience to Christ Jesus. Okay, very good, very good. Uh, right here, Richard. Back in the 80s and 90s,
2: I was doing athletic training for marathons and triathlons, at the same time as building houses for 32 years. And one of my friends owned a a bicycle shop in Santa Rosa, and he said that the most important part of my training program was the rest that I got. Hmm. Not the miles I put in, Mm -hmm. not what I ate, but I ate good, Mm -hmm. but to balance my life. And I operated off of a book that Frank Shorter endorsed. It's called Jeff Galloway's Book of Running. And even though I was running, there was built-in rest weeks. Mm -hmm. And it helped me in all aspects of life to live a more balanced life.
0: Interesting. And you see fasting as being part of that. the the, the resting period. Mm -hmm. Okay, good, back here. Thank goodness one size does not fit all. (laughs) (laughs) And we serve a God that causes rain to fall on everybody. Hmm. I fasted, I was very, very sickly child with asthma and hay fever. And when I joined the church, I decided I was going on a 30-day all raw food and followed by 30
1: days of juice. And I had extreme clarity and I thought spiritual gifting, I wouldn't recommend it for anyone. I thought, I have to do this
0: again. I have never done it again because <laughs> I like cheesecake too much. <laughs> so You go on a cheesecake fast, don't you? Yes. Awesome. Awesome. Brian, why don't you uh, finish up the topic? Okay,
2: Uh, So I actually did fast without without eating food. Uh, (laughs) So I I did a lot of intermittent fasts. I I know people are into health, and so they do it. And they're not in the church. They just do this. And then I went to a a place that was um, in El Camino Hospital up north. And uh, I met a guy who I called the master faster. And he would go five or six days without eating anything. Um, he claimed it was really good for you and everything like that. So I had told patients before, you know, you can't eat or drink anything for 24 hours. So, it's, so I said, well, this guy thinks that's like standing on your head. That's you know, nothing to it. <laughs> so I, I went about 43 hours. It was my longest fast. And I did it every week where I would, I would fast like between um, 24 to 36 hours uh, just to see. And, and you do get a sense of uh, well-being yeah. Um, I, I also didn't want to, I, I, just thought, I think a lot of the, what we believe is just propaganda about fasting, yeah. uh, that you can't go along without eating. That, and this, so they say this, so, of course the master faster, he was, he thinks it's all conspiracy about eating food. Um, so I, I. I I did go that long and I would make sure that I worked out. So I usually do about four workouts while I had fasted for like 36 to 40 hours. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not a big deal like you think it is because people all over the world fast like that all the time. Um, They have no choice in it. They just don't have any food. Uh, But you do have your, uh, uh, all your systems, all your digestive Mm -hmm. systems do take a break. And that's what the great thing is. And when they take a break, Eventually, uh, they're not sending messages to your mind through the, uh, you know, the vasovagal nerve. I think is uh, the nerve that goes down through your intestines. So that's so. There's a lot of uh, neurons in your digestive system that are constantly talking to your brain, mm-hmm. and so it kind of gives you a break from all that, where you can actually have that spiritual experience. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not big on spiritual experiences. I'm just saying that the sense of well-being is, is something I definitely experienced cool. from fasting. So
0: can, can I pick on you a little bit since yeah, we're sure. friends? Um, what was your motivation to fast? Why did you want to fast?
2: Uh, well, th- there were several reasons I-, I was feeling very stressed at this job. Um, mm-hmm. I also wanted to lose weight, and I wanted to be more healthy. Uh, sure. But the spiritual component was is always there, because that's mm-hmm. the time when I would pray and, and mm-hmm. think about things. And, and the idea of emptying myself, so to speak, was, uh, was one of the motivations, too, was that, you know, you, we're just so caught up all the time in... Eating, you know, mm-hmm. I and mean, we don't go a few hours most of the time without eating. Yeah. And uh, to uh, to to be able to deprive yourself and to go through that discipline is, mm-hmm. um, is it's kind of refreshing, really. So.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The, the reason why I ask you of, uh, you know, what was your motivation to do it is because that's where uh, everyone has to everyone who's going to fast has to start there. What's your motivation? What are you looking for? out of this experience. It is an experience. Uh, two decades ago, myself and, uh, three other pastor colleagues, um, every Wednesday for seven months, we, every Wednesday we would fast from food. We'd have juice, but we would fast from food. And, um, I remember starting out, you know, our motivation was we wanted to be deeply connected to God and his will, um, for our ministry. And, um, but I do recall, especially the first couple of weeks, um, it did drive me to prayer, but my prayer was typically, "Lord, help this day to go a little faster because I just i need to I need to eat something i'm really hungry um, all comes down to motivation, and that's that 's where Jesus tackles it too. if you look at the question Jesus has asked in verse 18. The question is why don't you fast like we fast? Now the question is who's asking the question? Scripture tells you some people ask the question. Um, Some commentators think that they were motivated by John's disciple, John the Baptist, who currently is in jail at this period of time. He's in jail. His disciples, as you can tell, are just trying to figure out what to do. Their rabbi is not able to be with them and lead them. So they're just starting to just, they're not scattering. They're just trying to figure out, what do we do next? Is our rabbi going to get out of jail? In the meantime, what do we do now? And it's interesting to see that in a very rare moment, their belief in fasting ties them together with the strange bedfellows of the Pharisees, from whom John the Baptist did not get along with theologically very well. And so they're sided up together because they participated in fasting. Now, the law said that you only had to fast one day a year that's the Day of Atonement. That was the only day prescribed by Scripture that you were to fast as a good Jew. The Pharisees had taken it the next step further. They said, we're going to fast every week, and we're going to fast on Mondays and Thursdays, and you're going to hear us moan about it all Monday and all Thursday, okay? And that's probably where the phrase, thank God it's Friday, came in. (laughs) Just a guess, but I'm sure we can find it in some commentary. Mondays and Thursdays. Now, the question is, where did Jesus just come from when he's barraged by this question? Where has Jesus just been? And some of you are going to have to actually crack open your Bible or your Bible apps to see what happens just before in verses uh, 13 through 17. Where's Jesus been? Party. Oh, he's been at a party? That's not in the Bible. <laughs> it is? Yes, he's been at a party. Okay, whose party? <laughs> a tax collector? No, 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 no. No. All three Gospels Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three. Three of those gospels say that Jesus was at Levi Matthew's party. Why is he there? What's the party celebrating? Levi's Levi just joined the disciples. Jesus begins calling him Matthew, gives him a new start. Who else is at the party? <laughs> <laughs> who, did, who did Levi know? The only people he knew were people who no church people would ever hang out with. Why? Because the Hebrews were very concrete in their belief system. Everything was physical. And if you touch sin, that sin becomes part of you. And you are ceremonially unclean until you go through this huge elaborate bathing, uh, ceremonial bathing to get yourself clean. If you were to die between touching a sinner and Uh, the ceremonial wash, you would not receive heaven. That was God to them. God was very exacting. So, Jesus had just come from the party. I know one thing definitely clear. The party was on a Monday or a Thursday. It was either a Monday or a Thursday. You know why I know this? Because they're coming and saying, look, you're partying, you're feasting while we're fasting. How is it that your disciples feast when we fast? There's something wrong here. It's not simply that you're eating with sinners. You are not a good church-going person because the church people fast on Mondays and Thursdays, and you're there not only with sinners, you're eating on fast day. So they asked Jesus this based on the huge difference in activity on a Monday or Thursday. So Jesus responds to them in verse 19. How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? Now there's several things about this. We don't have time to dig all the way into it, but take it from me. Some of the major issues that are going on here, uh, this this is the first time when Jesus actually takes upon himself one of the traditional characteristics that in the Old Testament that they only attributed to God the Father. Up until this time, whenever a Jew would talk about the bridegroom, it was always about God the Father. Jesus lets them know who he is by saying, uh, they can't fast while the bridegroom's here, I'm God. And so that's the first thing. The second thing is, according to the customs of the day, the culture said that if there's a wedding feast, seven days is how long the wedding feast would be if you haven't been married before, uh, ladies, if you've been married uh, before at least one time, I'm sorry, your wedding is going to be three days. We've, we've done seven days already. We're, we're only giving you three more days, okay? <laughs> um, and so during those seven or three days, depending on the circumstances, everyone feasted. And so during those times, all the church people, including the rabbis, were expected to take a break from their fasting and be feasting. So Jesus, using this phrase that we kind of read past, Jesus is saying, no, you don't don't understand. It's a wedding. The bridegroom is with his groomsmen here. And this is a celebration because heaven has met earth. God has come back for his bride. This is the wedding. This is not a time for fasting. There will be a day, he says. And that's when the bridegroom is taken away. And I want you to remember the words taken away. Those words taken away, we're going to see again in the parable he's about to tell. So he continues on with the parable. In verse 21, he says, No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, otherwise the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. So let's take a look at that new patch. What in the world is he talking about? New patch. How has this new patch metaphor been explained to you in the past? Back here, purple mic.
1: Well, I wasn't gonna answer that question, but. Okay,
0: Jay, I put you on the spot. Sorry sorry about that. Go for it.
1: Yeah, I don't have an answer for you on on that. Okay, share what
0: you're gonna share and then we'll move. Yeah.
1: Um, A lot of Jesus' ministry was sitting down and eating with people. Mm -hmm. So it's kinda hard to fast when you're ministering to people by eating with them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We know all about eating here at the Bible Lab, that's for sure. (laughs) The refreshment teams are off the charts. Uh, I have a comment right over here, and I have a comment over here. Let's start with the red mic.
1: Okay. Uh, What I think he was trying to say is that when people from the, you know, tradition, you know, the Pharisees and all of them, Mm -hmm. uh, they were trying always to put, you know, loads on people's, you know, backs that they couldn't even take themselves. So for Jesus bringing this new uh, perspective about what, God wants from man instead of what them want from God, mm-hmm. I think that's what he's talking about the new patch. The new patch is Jesus' teachings against that old tradition way of them to think about God. Absolutely. So that's Absolutely. what I was thought
0: about. Thanks. Here's one of the major issues. Okay. Jesus tells us in response to activities that the church was doing, saying this is religiously responsible. This is what God wants I asked a moment ago what people's motivation is for fasting. And we also talked earlier about how we manipulate God to get what we want. A lot of people approach fasting, not all, but a lot of people approach fasting saying, I'm doing this because in the end, this is what I want. That's not what fasting is for. Do you think when Jesus fasted for 40 days, he was fasting because he wanted God to truly listen to him because God wasn't taking him serious before? Do you think he was trying to get himself into a position to where he was fully connected with God because he wasn't connected to God before? Why did Jesus fast for 40 days? You answer that question, you'll understand why you should fast for whatever period of time that you fast. Because fasting or any religious sacrament is never meant. To get God's attention. That's the difference between our religion and all the other major world religions. You have to get the other God's attention. Think of Mount Carmel. You got Elijah and you got the prophets of Baal going around the altars. They're trying to get God's attention. They spend most of the day trying to do it. Can't get their God's attention. Was God, the true God's attention already there? Yes. Your God's attention is always there. You don't have to do something to get his attention. So what is fasting for? Is it to prepare God or is it to prepare you? Yeah, exactly. Purple mic.
3: The way I've understood fasting in my life is this idea that you need to get closer to God. Uh-huh. It's a way to connect you closer with God. And this whole thing about Jesus telling the disciples and even these people who approached him and said why aren't you why why aren't your disciples fasting well he was never closer to humanity than in that period he was there physically next to them so of course you're not going to fast when you're with him because he's at he's he's literally at arm's length so this idea I feel with this whole thing about fasting um, at the time food was associated with distraction and things that would take your mind away from God. Mm -hmm. There is a 100,000 things that we do today that's not necessarily eating, that's stripping our mind of anything that has to do with God. So in my mind, I feel like fasting for us is the only way that we can connect with God in a way by removing distractions from from Him. So it might be social media, it might be a boyfriend, it might be a girlfriend, it might Mm -hmm. be something that has nothing to do with food. Um, so I feel like personally, like when I fast, I'm trying to connect with him. Yes. And sometimes I will take social media fasts because that stuff can really like mess with your brain. Absolutely. So anyway, um, that's just something I wanted no, to No, I love that. Mention.
0: That's brilliant. And that's and a lot of love it cards going up. You're absolutely correct. Brilliant in how you said it as well. I love how you consistently said for us to connect with God. Is God connected with you? How far do you have to go to find God? He's here. He's everywhere. So fasting is not about getting God connected to you. It's about you connecting to God. It's getting the distractions away. And it really is to get yourself focused on what matters the most. Now, when you look at Christ's parable here, new cloth on an old garment, when you when you go through and say, so what does this metaphor represent versus that one? It's not a nice thing that Jesus is saying to the people who are asking him the question. He's saying you got an old, messed up rag of clothing, and there's no way I can patch you up. I am the new patch. Not simply my teaching— I am the new patch, and the fact is, he says, if I were to attach to the church today, I would destroy that church, and I'm telling you, if Jesus came into many of our churches today, he would destroy them. There are many churches today where Jesus himself is not welcome, because we figured everything out, exactly what we need to do to get God to do what we want him to do. Jesus says, look, you guys don't understand. If I were to come in, you don't have to change a few of your teachings. It's going to change all your teachings. Because my perspective of you and your perspective of me are incompatible. It will change everything that you do in church. I'm bringing a new church. I'm not bringing Judaism part two. I'm starting Christianity. And it had to start. That's why there's always viewed such a a separate distinction between Christianity and Judaism, even though Christianity is from Judaism. It's because it's a new patch. It was so different from what the church had built up. It had a system that it knew, if you do this, you are in right relationship with God. If you do this behavior, you are righteous. Jesus came and said, I'm sorry, no one's righteous, not, not even one. He expounds through Paul in saying it doesn't matter what you do. Your righteousness is the same as filthy rags to God's eyes. Why? Because it's still part of the old garment. If you want to experience a new garment and everything that comes with it, God's garment, you're going to have to let go of the old garment. And then he goes on to say, "Um, let me explain it to you this way too. I'm new wine. And you're trying to Force me into your old wineskin, your old structure. The problem is your structure is so old, it's brittle. Our churches are always in danger of becoming brittle when we are unmalleable, unwilling to change, unwilling to stretch in the areas that God wants to grow. Jesus said, "Like new wine, you pour it into the goat skin." The fermentation process causes it to expand. And as I expand what the character of God is, this church cannot contain it. And the end result, he says in Scripture, is not only that the church will be destroyed, but the very nature of how I am in the world will also be lost. The two cannot mix. As we look at this, we see the reason why Is because Jesus says, okay, the more you try to get me to love you by your actions, the more you build up a system that only the only thing people focus on are those actions, and they stop focusing on me. Before we feel too self-righteous because we're 2,000 years removed from this conversation, let me ask you a question. My wife and I were actually talking about this while we were getting ready this morning. I asked her this question. If, within Christendom, we remove the possibility of heaven, if heaven didn't exist, how many Christians do you think would continue being Christians? My wife surprised me. She said, I think quite a few. I said, that's because you're very sweet, kind, and loving. Most of the people are Christians because when you ask them, what are you sharing with people? Sh- they share what's the most important thing to them. They, I'm sharing heaven. I'm sharing eternal life, a place with no more pain, sickness, death. It's a great place where you slide down the necks of giraffes and ride dolphins like water skis. It's a great place. And never once do they say it's a place where I finally get to sit down next to my God and have a face-to-face relationship. They have a heaven that doesn't need God that's why we build churches that don't require God's presence because the very thing that we're trying to expound to people it's the carrot it's the carrot that we say look this is why you want to come because if you don't join me there's a hellfire and I'm saving you from hell and I'm giving you eternal life free from the sickness pain death and all the tears Although God does offer heaven, although we made it clear, John 14, that he's gone to prepare a place for us, is that truly the reward of Christianity? It's the bonus. To be able to refer to the creator of the universe as your best friend is the reward. Heaven is only a bonus. And as long as we can allow ourselves to go through looking at church as a way that we can get what we want, which is salvation, a way that we can earn what we want, which is immortality, we can truly gain what we want, which is, I will be reunited with my loved ones who have passed on. We have old cloth and we have old wineskin. Jesus said, I will completely destroy your church because I take away all the motivation factors for you to fast, for you to come to church, for you to live right, to not live wrong. If you truly do church the way Christ called for us to do church, all of those things don't matter. They're they're a bonus, but the true goal is to be friends with the creator of the universe. Not to spend all of, our, all of our time seeking what we gain, but spending all of our time seeking the one who gained all for us. Not focusing on what can I sacrifice, but focusing on what has he sacrificed. And the moment we stop looking at what I need to sacrifice, and we start looking at what he has already sacrificed, our perspective shifts solely onto the character of God. And then everything that we do is motivated by love. It's not motivated by fear. If I don't do it right, if I don't do this, God's not going to X, Y, Z. God wants to come in and revolutionize your life, but He can't do it if you're trying to do it through a system. He can only do it if you allow Him to do something new. There's Arguments that have gone on for generations about what music is appropriate in church, what styles of preaching are appropriate. You realize 20 years ago, when I, or 26 years ago, when I started preaching, one of the number one complaints I got, you're going to love this one, mm-hmm. you're not supposed to use humor in church. Oh, I was hammered my first two years. <laughs> 93 and 94, uh, I was in front of the church board, You name it. I didn't even know the word frivolity until I started pastoring. We have systems. And we try to say, if you do it this way, God will be pleased. If you do it that way, he'll be angry and he'll punish you. Jesus says, I have new cloth and I have new wine. And you're going to have to let go of everything. Otherwise, I cannot be the church I need to be in your life community. How willing are you to allow him to give us a new patch made of new cloth that will, that will change as it is, a, is, is introduced into the environment for us? How willing are you to allow God to expand in places where we've become very rigid? If we can truly see a God who says, man, you guys are boring. Man, you guys... Would you please stop making systems and we just start making friends that's what your savior wants and that's what he said in this kingdom tale wow that is a great challenge for me and i imagine it's probably a great challenge for you this week as well as we try to figure out what new thing that god wants to do in our lives in the community that he places i'm so thankful that you joined us and i sure hope that you'll come back for our next episode it really is a great kingdom tale a kingdom tale that a lot of people have misinterpreted over the years it's about a rich man and lazarus and i can't wait for you to join us for it we'll see you soon
1: thank you for listening to the bible lab podcast if you're planning a trip to southern california make sure to reserve your vip seats in the Bible Lab by emailing us at info@thebiblelab.com. At Programs are recorded each Saturday at 10:30 a.m. We hope to see you soon. Until then, we wish you God's richest blessings as you continue to research and develop the character of God.